Hello and welcome to LifeSpring number 204. It's so good to have you with me today. My name is Steve Webb and I am your humble host. This show is brought to you by Steve Webb VoiceOvers, the guy with a friendly voice. I'm a professional full-time voiceover artist, which means that I lend my voice to businesses, organizations, production houses, and others, helping them to increase sales, improve margins, grow their businesses, and serve or entertain their customers, clients, and audiences. I do radio and TV commercials, narration for corporate training videos, audiobook narrations, podcasts, and lots more. If you're looking for a voice like mine, drop me an email at studio at theguywiththefriendlyvoice.com. So what is LifeSpring all about? We well, you know Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, or your station in life. Jesus said this. Who do you say that I am? LifeSpring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life today. What do you find here? Well, you'll find music, conversation, and reasons to believe. Today we continue our conversation with Ellie Collins. Last episode we heard a story of innocence lost, betrayal, violence, human trafficking, and more as Ellie told about her childhood in Honduras, where she lived with her physically abusive grandmother, then with her mother, where her stepfather and stepbrother abused her sexually, she was then forced into a marriage at 16 years old to a much older man who raped her and beat her and would leave her tied up while he left the shack where they lived. She ran away from there, only to be raped again by a man who was supposed to be helping her escape. And finally, she finds herself seemingly rescued by a woman who takes her in, buys her medical care and clothes and gives her a place to stay, only to find out that she is indebted to the woman who is requiring her to work off the debt in the brothel that this woman owns. We'll pick up the story here, but before we play part two, remember that we recorded this in her home on a very stormy night here in Southern California. You'll hear the rain falling just outside the window and you will hear the wind blow. And now, Ellie Collins and part two of Crossing Over. I found out what the place actually was. Mm -hmm. I asked her, you know, if I could leave, and, and she um, gave me a balance of what I owe her, what she's done for me, and that I could not leave until I finished paying her. Right, so everything that she'd done for you up to this point, you thought she was doing out of the goodness of her heart. Yeah. But she's doing it in actuality to put you in debt to her. Right, right. So you could become enslaved to her. She she charged you for, for all the food you had eaten and the doctor visits and the clothes and the makeup and, and everything. Everything. And you everything. can't leave until you pay me back. And how then were you supposed to pay her back? Well, uh, I offer, you know, well, I'll keep waiting on tables, but that's not what she wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to entertain her clients. Mm -hmm. Entertaining her clients meant more than just, you know, dancing with them, but doing other things, you right. know, and... Uh, getting paid for. Right. Yeah, in the beginning, you thought, well, then I'll just dance with them and get them to buy more booze and spend money here. Right. But, but that wasn't enough. That her. wasn't enough. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, um, things would happen. I didn't know how. I would find myself in this little room, and I didn't even know what happened because I think there were some kind of drugs or whatever because that was the first, you know, few months that that happened. And... Uh, 
I realized what was happening. You know, she was drugging us. I think there were about 20 girls wow. that would come in, a, in and out of the restaurant and go into that, the other area. And um, really, nobody really talked with each other. So it was kind of like a really odd situation. And I noticed that when somebody tried to run away, they would get arre- arrested, thrown in jail, and brought back to the brothel. Mm-hmm. So did you ever try to get away? I did. And I, I, like I said, I got arrested. You did get arrested. Yeah. So as it turns out, it seems as if she had a relationship with the police department. Mm-hmm. They kind of kept track. If they saw any of the of her girls out and about, they'd grab her. Yeah, and bring them back. Yeah, they. it's almost like we were marked. Because mm-hmm. I didn't tell anybody, you know. I just left one day. I don't know how this police guy just stopped and picked me up and took me right back to her. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I was in the, in that situation and I wanted to get out and uh, I was pleading to leave. You know, I, it, it seems like every week I would ask her, I said, I want to leave, I want to get out of here. And she said, you can't leave till you pay me. And, and at times, you know, you get sick and you got to go to the doctor and you got to protect, men don't use protection. Right. And so you have to be careful, and you have to go to a doctor once a week. Right. And so that was expensive, and, mm-hmm. you know, you got to do it to protect right. yourself. Right. So I was fearful for my life. There were, you know, fights and drinking and... And drugs. And drugs, yeah. And fear, living in that fear. Now, the fights that you talk about, they weren't always fights between the, the customers, but... There was one particular girl that was after you as well. Yeah, yeah, because I was the, the youngest one there. And uh, when you knew, the men wanted them to go to the new girl. So the girls that have been there the longest resent you. Mm-hmm. And so if one of those customers go with you, then they... Then they've lost some business. Yeah, your co- exactly. Your competition. Yeah. Right. And so I remember that... Uh, I don't know how I got the idea to carry a knife with me because I wanted to protect myself. I didn't even know how to protect myself, but I felt, I think in, in through my mind at that time, it was all about survival, and sure. I was not going to let anybody hurt me anymore. And so that happened constantly, you know, trying to protect yourself. And some girls were there because they want to be there. Some of the girls didn't want to be there, so they would get drunk and high, whatever, and they cut themselves. And there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of abortion going on because obviously there was not protection. Right. You know, so uh, there was a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And one day um, I was just resting one afternoon, and I sat on this little area where the, there was like a little water fountain and and just felt something like a, this peace came over me and I thought about God for the first time. Mm. And uh, I remember my grandmother, as mean as she was, she used to want us to teach us how to pray our Father. And she would do that every night. She would sit by the bed and pray our Father. So I remember that. And I said, God, if you're real, can you get me out of here? I want to get out of here. And so I said our Father's prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just felt this peace still with me. And uh, soon after that, I met a a lady that was working as a bartender at the bar. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I friend her. We became close friends. She always used to tell me that I remind her of her daughter and that I, what was I doing there? I was so young. And I kind of shared a little bit about my past. And uh, she said, well, I, I, I can talk to Adela. That was the name of the lady that owned the club. And she said, maybe we can work something out. I felt that that prayer did something mm -hmm. that day. And so she um, started limiting things. Like when I, I wanted to do something, she, like she would not tally what I got from her oh, okay. and, and uh, not eating as much as, as, as I was before. And not, she said, don't go shopping anymore with her. Tell her you have enough clothes. And only in emergency things you can do that, but we're going to try to you know, pay her off. Soon after that, when I sat down with her, I think two or three months after that, he, she says, you don't know her anymore. You can leave. Wow. And I said, are you sure? She said, yeah, just go tell her that you want to leave, and I'll, I'll give you a place to stay for a while. And so that's that's how I got out of there. And, and it was smooth because it was she never did that with anybody. Just uh, from the time I sat down with her and I told her, I just, this is not where I belong. I want to get out of here. She said, I'm tired of you asking me this. Okay, then go. Wow. And yeah. she had never let anybody go before. No. The only way she would let girls go is if, if she sold them to another place because the, the bar owners trade girls. They buy from each other, you know, wow. like the best girl, you know, right. like your property. Yeah. So what, what was the bartender's name? Lisa. Lisa. So Lisa comes into your life. Mm -hmm. First, you make this prayer. God, get me out of here. Yeah. You're real. Yeah. And he says, okay, I'll show you that I'm real. Yeah. And she brings Lisa into your life. Right. And three or four months later, you're free. I'm free. Then what happened? I go to live with her, and uh, I start seeing that, that I, I have new chance here. I, I, I'm going to try to do things a little different. Well, you know, I started putting my, my mind into doing, um, getting a job. Um, right away, I found a job um, as a waitress. Now, this time as a real waitress. As a real waitress, yeah. Yes. And um, so I decided to go look for my sister again. It <laughs> seems like I always did that. And I, I found out she was living with an aunt of mine. That was the last somebody seeing her, and she was living at my aunt's house. So they, I found out that she had come to live in California. And so I thought, wow, that sounds great. I'm happy for her you know, that she did that. And that thought stayed in my mind. I'm like, maybe I need to get out of here. Um, I asked Lisa to find out how I could come to Los Angeles, California. And uh, I started working and saving money. And to make the story short, um, a year after that, I had saved, I think, $800. And um, That was a lot of money. It was in those days. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got my passport and uh, determined I did not want to leave there because while I was working and being a waitress, I was still struggling with the thought of that life and how a lot of times I thought that was easy. I could stay there, not worry about anything ever. I have somebody to take care of me, but that's not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, I was really excited when I finally got my passport and I went to Lisa and I said, I'm going to go find my sister in Los Angeles. And uh, I want a, a new star, a new 
you know, this is going to be good for me. Uh I just had a sense in my heart that things were going to change for me and that I was not going to look back. But before that, I wanted to go settle things with my mom and uh, I wanted to see her. And so I I did go to find my mom. And uh, when I got to the house, um, she says, you're free now. And I said, yes. I remember standing by the door and I said, yes, I'm free. I said, I can't believe you didn't even come looking for, nobody ever came looking for me. Do you realize where I've been? And she said, no, but I know that you're free now. Your your husband died. He got killed in a car accident. That was the kind of freedom she was talking about. Right, because she thought that since you were married to him, then you were bound to him. Yeah. And since he had died, then you were free that way. I was free that way. Right, okay. It was very like a cold conversation. Like I was expecting for her to say, I miss you, where you been, you know. There was um, none of that. None of that. It was really cold in distance. And and so um, I wanted to see my sisters, and for some reason they were not there that day. Before you go on, did mm-hmm. you tell her where you had been? No. Well, you didn't tell her what you'd gone through? I was too embarrassed to tell her. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you wanted to find your sister. Mm-hmm. And how'd that go? Right after I uh, went to see my mom, I think the day after, I had already planned. I didn't even tell my mom that I was going to come because I didn't know if it was going to work out or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, my uh, friend Lisa said, well, we're ready. You can leave whenever you want. You have your passport. And I said, I'm ready now. Mm-hmm. And so that day after, I had my little suitcase and got on the bus and, and rode all the way to Guatemala and from there to Mexico. I didn't even know what was going to take to go to L.A. You had no idea how far it was, right? <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. And so when I, uh, we stopped in Mexico City just to have lunch, and I remember getting back into the bus, and I met this lady, and she started talking to me, and, and Ish and the book, if you read it, uh, it says he calls her an angel because uh, she was the one that helped me get all the way through and come to Los Angeles. Now, you found out that the passport was not going to be enough. Right. So tell that story. What happened there? Well, I told her, right? Well, we, we became very friends because I didn't even know who this lady was. She's talking to me. She's real friendly. And we talked for a little while, and then she finally says, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Honduras. And she says, that's where I just came from. I just came from there because I have two kids. You know, and uh, I'm going back to Los Angeles. And I said, oh, you are? I said, that's where I'm going to. She said, how are you going to get there? I said, I don't know, but I have a sister there. Mm -hmm. And so she knew that I didn't even know what was going to take to get through. And she says, you know, don't worry about it. I'll have my husband come pick me up. Uh, He's picking me up in Tijuana. And I'm going to see what we can do to get you through. And so, okay. You know, whatever. In well, one of the... You needed a visa. Yeah. To get through. Right. And you didn't have a visa. I didn't have a visa. Okay. So now let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I remember in one of the occasions from Mexico to Tijuana, there is a stop in one of the little towns where they check, you know, for your visa, I, I guess, I assume. <laughs> and so he, I guess she... She had a connection with the bus driver because I remember they put me in the luggage compartment in the bus, underneath the bus. And uh, they hit me with all the bags and everything. Right. And I was in there for I don't know how long. 
And finally, when it felt safe, they got me out of there. And next thing I know, we were in Tijuana. Okay. So, well, when they got to the border, mm-hmm. they did stop the bus, right? It stops right there in Tijuana. Right. You can't get across. Okay. So, and when the bus stopped, then what happened? Then um, we got off, and I guess she had she arranged for me to stay there. And, a, and a, it was like a little no-tell, motel, whatever that was. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait. There was a point in the book where it talks mm-hmm. about the bus stop and the border patrol. Mm-hmm. They looked in the bus. They, they opened the luggage compartment. Yes. They didn't see you because mm-hmm. you were hidden behind the bags. Right, right. Okay. All right. I just want to be sure that we got to that part. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't see me because I was, you know, stuck in the back. I don't know how they did that, but right. um, they didn't see me. Okay, so after that, and then what happened? But that was not on the border, though. That was in the way from Mex- from um, Mexico City to Tijuana. Oh, okay. I think it was uh, Mexicali. Okay. Yeah, All there's right. a check up there too before okay. you get to Tijuana. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The the harder part was getting from Tijuana to L.A. Talk about that. What happened? Well, that was that was not a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's very specific, you know. In my book, is is uh, I, I'm surprised that I kind of share that story because I've always been embarrassed about it. Yeah. You know, I never felt good about doing that. But it's part of the story. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, she uh, she paid a coyote to bring me across. What's a coyote for those that don't it's, know? It's a person that makes sure you cross the border safe. You know, and they charge a certain amount of money mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, they take maybe about 15, 10 to 15 people at a time, and and they help you cross the border. They smuggle you through, though. They smuggle it's, you It's through. an illegal operation. Yes, illegal. Right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. Right. I know. I understand that. I know that. I know that. I just want to get across. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> they said I had to do that, so that, that's, that's what I way, did. Yeah, that's yeah. the way it was done, so that's what yeah, you did. Yeah, and I'm used to walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So you had this walk from Tijuana over to the American San Diego, side. Yeah, okay. to San Diego border. And so you literally had to go across the river. You had to wade across mm-hmm. the river. Yeah. And it was really, it was, um, I remember we woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that's when we had to start our, our journey. And it was really dark. I remember running through bushes and going to piles of water. I don't even know what it was, but... Um, it was really scary. I, I remember seeing those helicopters flying over me and being scared wow. for my life. Yeah. And so, but he was a good coyote, though. He got us through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> was it very expensive to pay him? Uh, yeah. I remember that I did owe that lady that helped me some money when we came here, when mm-hmm. I came here. I don't remember exactly how much, though. Maybe okay. $700 or something like that. At that time. Okay. All right. So you got across. Mm-hmm. Then what happened? Then I came here, and uh, one of the first things that um, she did was find me a job. And so she got me a job house-sitting a house in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. It was this beautiful home. Now, in here's Beverly this girl Hills. that was born in abject poverty. Mm-hmm. Honduras is one of the most poor nations yes. on the planet. And you had known nothing but heartache and poverty. And here you are dropped into a home in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. It was like a dream to me. Here I am in this 
home, I didn't even know how to use any of the, you know, I never seen a, a, a washer and dryer or anything like that, but it was an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and here I'm putting this beautiful home and the lady that owned the house was just the sweet, sweetest person, you know, you can meet. And so she would gave me all kind of opportunities for me to learn and, and to stay here. You know, she was just like with open arms. I never seen such compassion and so without an ulterior motive without something behind it that they're hoping to get from it no for the first time right two two people that i encounter mm-hmm. you know from the the time i left my country right i never seen that right you know so there was the lady that helped you get across mm-hmm. she was the first one right no motivation other than just to try to help someone right she wasn't trying to get something out of you right and then this woman that owned the home in beverly Hills. right yes and how long were you there? I was there for about a year. Okay. Maybe almost a year, yeah. And then I came looking for my sister, but I thought, you know, I'm going to find my sister. I didn't have an address or anything in Honduras. You know, it's not really hard to find people, but I didn't realize how big Los Angeles right. was. <laughs> right, And so, um, but I did manage to um, find my sister once I came here and uh, live with her for a little while. And I started learning English. That was my number one thing. I knew I had to uh, learn English. How did you learn English? TV. Uh, When I used to uh, work in Beverly Hills, that was my thing. I used to watch TV, not just for, you know, I wanted to learn. And I would sit there with a dictionary in hand and a pad. And every word that I got, I would write it down. And I, I wanted to learn the language. I felt that it was absolutely necessary for me to do that. So somewhere along the line, you did get enough school to be able to learn how to read and write. Yes, I did. I loved school. You know, what stopped me from staying there was because of the situation with my with my mom and right. my stepdad. But right. You had been in school there, but yeah. then when she started having the kids, yeah. you had I to went, I went up to fifth grade. Okay. Yeah, I stayed. I managed to, for some reason, pass my first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So uh, going, skipping back now to mm-hmm. Beverly Hills and, and watching TV, you'll learn how to speak English that way. Yeah. Okay. And so then what happened? I did waitressing a lot for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I got an opportunity to work at one of the department stores, uh, Cafeteria was my company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked there for a few months. And I remember I used to love makeup and all the anything to do with beauty. And I used to walk by the makeup department and just thinking that one day I may be working there. And so that happened. I was transferred from the cafeteria to the cosmetics department. And I worked there in, in the makeup department at my company for six years. And during that time, I, I met um, my ex-husband. I was introduced to him by, by one of my coworkers. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so we got married. Um, he was a real nice man. He had a, a nice job in CBS. Um, he was a special effects guy for one of the shows in CBS. And uh, I thought this was going to be a good relationship, but unfortunately it didn't work out. We were married for... Uh, seven years. And during those seven years, I was able to go to school. I got my manicuring license and I was able to open my own little business. I started a little business at a swap meet working for three days and eventually I opened my own little shop. And then eventually I went back to school and got my cosmetology license. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
that's what I do now. I'm a hairstylist, and I've been doing that for the past 15 years. There's a lot of people out there that are doing cosmetology, but yeah. they don't all have the clientele that you had. Yeah. During the time that I was working at, uh, in stu- I, used to, I used to work at a salon in Studio City. So after I closed my business, right during that time, I went through a divorce. And so um, I was working in this really nice salon in, in uh, Studio City. Now, Studio City, for those that don't live in Southern California, it's all part of Hollywood. Yeah. That's where a lot of the stars are. And uh, I got to meet uh, really um, some really beautiful, wonderful people in the, in the TV and movie industry. But one person that I'm, I'm more, I was always uh, skeptical about being my client was uh, Larry Flint. Larry Flint, for those that don't know, um, Hustler Magazine, world-renowned pornographer. Yes. Right. And uh, when I met Larry Flint, uh, I'd been saved for just a little, um, maybe under a year. And um, one of my clients asked me if I could do his boss's hair. And I said, sure. And he says he lives in Beverly Hills. So I um, went to do his hair, and I realized it was Larry Flint. And because I just I had just been saved, um, when I left that, his house, I was thinking, that is really not what I want to do. I felt dirty. Mm-hmm. You, it kind of reminded you, me of of my past. Did you know who he was before you went? Did you know who Larry Flint no, was? No, until I was already there, and he introduced me to him, and he says, I'm Larry Flint. And so um, I think I knew of him, but I didn't know that that's who I was, whose mm-hmm. hair I was going to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. So did you only do his hair the one time? No. Because what happened is that uh, when I left his home that day, it was on a Wednesday, and there was a service at church. But the whole time I'm driving um, back to my house that day, I was thinking, what a terrible thing to do. How can I, you know, I just became a Christian, Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to be doing this man's hair. And the stuff that, it's like all this stuff that I felt, well, I saw everything. You know, you just you walk in his house and you see everything what he, oh. what he's about. Okay. You know, there's just nudity, nudity, everywhere, and so I said, you know, God, I really don't don't know. I don't want to do this guy's hair. I I don't care how much money he pays me. I don't care. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go back. And what happened that that night, that Wednesday night, I went to church, and there was a guest speaker at church on the way. And he was sharing a testimony on how he has been set free of um, pornography and how he used to work for a very well-known pornographer man. And he's made a lot of money, he said, but I don't want all that money that he, he was paying me because God changed my life. And he said it was Larry Flint. Mm. And he said, if anybody out, is out here in this congregation and knows Larry Flint, please pray for him. And I almost fell off my chair (laughs) because that was God. And so I continued doing his hair. I did his hair for about five years. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so we did it. We made a big jump. Yeah. From, you know, you had just married this man at May Company, Mm -hmm. that you had met at May Mm -hmm. Company. We're married uh, seven years, then you got a divorce. And then all of a sudden, you go to Larry Point. So there's a big event that happened in your life. Yeah. So I want you to talk about that. Well, I had I had my business. I had shared that I had I had my business. I was right. married. But what happened is 
I didn't know how to be, you know, how to function. Um, here's this man, you know, he's um, demanding again to how to, I should be a wife. And it was almost like it was, we were not communicating, ever communicating or agreeing on anything because I didn't know how to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand how marriage worked, mm-hmm. really, you mm-hmm. know. And so it was really kind of forced. Everything was forced. And we argue, and uh, he was drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. And then we started getting very um, violent physically with each other, throwing things. There was fights almost every day in the house. Mm-hmm. And I finally um, had to leave, um, had to move on. But before that, I wanted us to work on things. And I started you know, asking him that maybe you know, we needed to get counseling. And he would say he didn't believe in counseling. And... And so we went like that for a few years, really very uncomfortable. All we did was work. We mm-hmm. both really work a lot. And so, like I said, I was able to have my own business. But um, one day I, I came home and I found uh, a letter addressed to him because he had gone away on a trip and to find out that he had married a woman in uh, the Dominican Republic. Wait a minute. He's married to you. Yeah, but... And I don't know if I should say that or right. That's all right. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, um, therefore, uh, we had to file for divorce, of course. All right. So, here you are then. You thought you were married. All of a sudden, you find out this divorce has to take place. Mm-hmm. What did that do to you? Uh, I was numb. I was numb. Hmm. Um, I felt I needed to move on. Okay. I was. I had determination. I. I was not. For some reason, since I came into this country, I felt I was free and I could. I could survive and I could overcome many obstacles. You already had. Yeah, it was painful. Yeah. I didn't want to get a divorce right. because I. I. I did care for him, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make things work, but um, the relationship just didn't work out. All right. Okay. Okay. So, the divorce happened. Mm-hmm. Then what? Then I uh, got a little apartment. Mm-hmm. I moved into a little apartment, and uh, I kept working. At uh, I found that job in Studio City. Mm-hmm. And one day, um, I got a little settlement from the divorce. And so I had money right now, mm-hmm. and uh, I started kind of going out a lot and drinking and partying mm-hmm. and celebrating and uh, making myself feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that added to um, doing drugs and smoking pot and doing cocaine. So in a, l- a matter of maybe four or five months, I had blown $6,000 in drugs. And uh, one morning I got up and uh, I was all high because we went for, for days, you know. And so um, the supplier was right there. I was dating the cocaine supplier Mm. and so it was very easy for me to get it so and everybody knew my friends knew so it was there available Mm -hmm. but one morning I got up and um, after a really heavy night of drugs and drinking and I don't know what else I was doing being very promiscuous because that's all I know how to do when to escape from things Mm -hmm. I had no respect for anybody men I didn't care I knew I wanted to succeed, and I knew I, I had to do good, but I was still very promiscuous and trying to find somehow satisfaction in areas, trying everything. And so um, 
I got up that morning and uh, I looked at myself in the mirror and I washed my face and and I heard a voice and said, um, is that what you came here for? You are not going to want to miss the next episode, the final episode, where Ellie shares her amazing story of how God spoke to her and showed her in an amazing way that he is real, that he has always been with her, that he loves her, and that he wants to save her from a life of betrayal, of pain, and bondage. And you'll also learn how it is that I came to know Ellie. I think you'll be surprised at that, too. That will be episode number 206 of LifeSpring. Subscribe to the show free at LifespringMedia.com if you're not already subscribed, so you'll be sure not to miss it. And now for something on the light side. As you might imagine, I get tons of email, well, like a lot of us. This one came in not too long ago, and when I get this type of email, I do my due diligence to see if it's true. This one that I'm about to read to you is not true, but I like the idea, so I'll pass it along. Again, it's not true. And I'd like to encourage you, when you get emails similar to the one you're about to hear, check the veracity of the thing before you send them to your entire list. It makes you look foolish to some if you treat these kind of messages as if they were true and they can easily be checked. And you don't want that, right? So here's the email. Headline, Florida Court Sets Atheist Holy Day. And here's the story. In Florida, an atheist created a case against the upcoming Easter and Passover Holy Days. He hired an attorney to bring a discrimination case against Christians and Jews in observances of their Holy Days. The argument was that it was unfair that atheists had no such recognized days. The case was brought before a judge. After listening to the passionate presentation by the lawyer, the judge banged his gavel, declaring, Case dismissed. The lawyer immediately stood, objecting to the ruling, saying, Your Honor, how can you possibly dismiss this case? The Christians have Christmas, Easter, and others. The Jews have Passover, Yom Kippur, and Hanukkah. Yet my client and all other atheists have no such holidays. The judge leaned forward in his chair, saying, But you do. Your client, counsel, is woefully ignorant. The lawyer said, Your Honor, we are unaware of any special observances or holidays for atheists. The judge said, The calendar says April 1st is April Fool's Day. Psalm 14.1 states, The fool says in his heart there is no God. Thus, it is the opinion of this court that if your client says there is no God, then he is a fool. Therefore, April 1st is his day. Court is adjourned. <laughs> Okay, so you see why I like the email, right? It's a great sentiment and all, good for a chuckle, but don't send it to your friends as if it were true. Thanks so much for being with me today. Your comments are welcome at LifespringMedia.com or at the iTunes store. Just search for the LifeSpring podcast hosted by yours truly, Steve Webb. Of course, you can email me at Steve at LifespringMedia.com. LifeSpring again is brought to you by me at theguywithafriendlyvoice.com. Email me at studio at theguywithafriendlyvoice.com. In the interest of time, no music on today's show. Next week, we'll have something special. If you'd like to read the incredible story of Ellie Collins, you can buy the book Crossing Over at restoringhearts.net. Till next time, when I'll have part three of my conversation with Ellie Collins, may God bless you richly. I'm Steve Webb.